Welcome to the On-Premise IT Podcast, the only show that dares to be both on-topic or on-premise and sometimes on-location or on-premises. Each time we meet, we bring together a panel of IT luminaries to discuss a single topic. On this episode, sponsored by Pure Storage, we're talking about infrastructure as code, especially as it relates to storage. But before we get to the premise, let's quickly meet who's on the panel today. Hi, I'm Jim Saprinsky. I'm a technology advocate. I do a lot of work with databases and applications, and I've been doing IT for about 40 years now and did a lot of stuff with storage. So I'm interested in what we're going to hear today. Hey, everybody. This is Larry Smith. I'm an automation consultant, and I work with uh, folks across the board, including storage as well. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mr. L.E. Smith Jr. And uh, looking forward to this conversation. Hi, my name is Anthony Lai Ferrario, Product Manager for APIs and Developer Experience at Pure Storage. Super excited to talk about infrastructure as code since I have sort of both the role of being a, a practitioner in the past as well as a provider uh, today. So looking forward to it. You can find me at AJ Ferrario on Twitter. And I'm Stephen Foskett, uh, publisher of Gestalt IT and organizer of Tech Field Day. And you can find me at S Foskett on most social media networks. I'm also a longtime storage uh, enthusiast. Uh, yes, there are such things. And so this is a particularly interesting topic to me because frankly, infrastructure as code and storage are, um, I don't know, night and day, salt and pepper, Mars and Venus, whatever. This is just not how storage has been. In fact, storage has been anything but infrastructure as code. So maybe to kick things off, Anthony, why don't we start with you? Um, what do you mean by infrastructure as code when it comes to storage? Yeah, thanks, Stephen. Um, I think really what I mean is that, you know, as we look at infrastructure as code and as we look at the adoption of a basically a code driven uh, and process based deployment and management of infrastructure, which is really sort of my take on infrastructure as code, as we look at that spreading across the industry, what we, you know, as you indicated, what we haven't seen in the past is storage fitting into that world. Um, and historically, the reason for that is that storage is heavy, right? There's a lot of data there. There's a lot of manual configuration historically that goes on uh, around storage. Um, and for storage to start taking part in infrastructure as code, storage needs to behave in a way that allows it to be controlled via API, deployed, redeployed, copied, managed, et cetera, all in sort of the code-driven um, and you know, lifecycle managed process. So that's what it means for storage to be ready for infrastructure as code. So Anthony, you know, as we talk through this, you know, thinking about from, you know, everybody might have their own interpretation of infrastructure as code, right? From a development perspective, you know, you're thinking about APIs and not necessarily, that doesn't define infrastructure as code, right? That enables infrastructure as code. So thinking about it from that perspective in the traditional sense, like you said, is that getting folks to adopt storage into their infrastructure as code, either through pipelines, through, you know, service now front ends, however that may look, it's going to take a while, right? I mean, some of us may have been doing this for a long time in some form or fashion, um, but being able to stitch storage, I mean, it's one of the crucial parts right after networking, right? From that perspective, to be in tune with the existing, you know, flow to ensure that everything is forefront, not forgotten about, and also day two, day zero, operational type things, how we adjust going over time. You know, 
Where do you think folks are at on that? I know my perspective, but I'd be interested in your perspective on that. Sure. So I think there's a couple of pieces that are critical to this. Uh, the first one is really a process and organizational piece, which is, you know, if you look at other parts of the infrastructure world and, and if you look at software development as a practice, right, what you see is you see, uh, you know, well-defined constructs like Git for version control. You see, you know, common languages and frameworks start to show up and be utilized, right? And, you know, regardless of what particular technology uh, is there, these best practices around control, around repeatability, around ownership, around all of that started out more in the software world and have worked their way into various parts of the infrastructure world. And that's really driving a lot of the infrastructure as code as a practice rather than as a technology focused. Uh, and what we need to see for someone to get on board from a storage perspective is that you need to start adopting those practices in your storage world. And I think that's where we could say something like, you know, storage admins today aren't ready for infrastructure as code. And I think, you know, while that may sound controversial, really what we mean is there's a whole set of practices uh, and uh, expectations that need to be set for the storage pr practitioner before you can even talk about technology. But pivoting over to the, to the technology side, you know, of course, we need API control. Without it, you can't have a software interface to your storage, right? So that's just step one. Right. Step two is going to be something like, you know, making that storage available under infrastructure as code frameworks and tool sets, you know, the Terraforms, the Ansibles you know, of the world. It's not limited to that. It could be driven through PowerShell. It could be driven through, you know, your tool of choice. Right. But it needs to have support in that in that ecosystem. But at the very deepest level, your storage itself has to be ready to support infrastructure as code. And this is where we talk about that day two management, um, you know, life cycle and provisioning. You know, one common thing you might, you might expect from a storage system that's ready for infrastructure as code is the ability to easily make a copy of an existing workload for a CI CD pipeline, for instance, which would be driven in, in an infrastructure as code fashion. So you have to ask yourself, are you ready organizationally? Are you ready from a tools perspective? Uh, and are you ready from a fundamental platform perspective? If you can say yes to that, then storage can take its part as sort of one of the, the three sisters of the data center, like I like to say, in infrastructure as code, along with networking and compute. That's an interesting point, Anthony. You know, speaking as someone that literally built arrays by hand, taking disk one and disk two and going, are these the same lot number <laughs> before I put them in a RAID one or a RAID five configuration to make sure that they might survive in case of failure. You know, things have changed dramatically in that regard. Uh, I built stuff from everything for databases, complex OLTP environments, all the way out to uh, building it just for normal, what we call normal storage, right? And one of the other aspects that I see of this is that people seem to think about storage last when they really should be thinking about it almost first. Uh, not just in terms of survivability and speed and availability, but, you know, an Oracle database or a Microsoft Azure environment is going to have a very, very different set of requirements, whether it's a data warehouse or an OLTP platform. And then thinking about things like, well, maybe I'm building out a healthcare system. Do I really care about the images of my broken wrist when I was three? No, I'm going to care about the most current data, the, you know, whatever it might be, the uh, MRI tests that I had two days ago, because I need that now because I'm going in for a cancer diagnosis, right? So the different uh, density, 
of, you know, you're talking about the data as well. It's also the time range that you need to retain that data and how crucial to an organization would it be if that data were to be lost for whatever reason or, or simply go missing for a brief period of point in time. So I think you're on the right track with this. It's interesting, right? One of the things that we at Pure have taken in while we think about how to provide infrastructure as code or storage as code, which is the way we like to describe the, uh, the subsection of the practice, is you know, while we are talking about these enterprise workloads and these very critical workloads, like you mentioned medical data, for instance, um, there are some good learnings that we can take away from what the public cloud has done. Um, and really, a lot of that comes down to the interaction model that the consumer has with the underlying infrastructure systems. So personally, right, I spent some time uh, on the engineering team at Pure Storage building our Cloud Block Store product um, and interacting with uh, AWS in that specific case, their infrastructure as code tooling uh, in terms of cloud formation, right? And, you know, we can nitpick and choose, right? But to my point earlier, it's not about which technology, it's about the interaction model and the practice. Um, and what we learned from them was the expectation that the consumer has is around policies and around SLAs and around expectations rather than around hardware level configuration. And that look, you know, if you take that learning and you really apply it on top of something that is an enterprise platform like we uh, provide at Pure, you know, you can end up with something that allows you to ask the storage subsystem for a, you know, storage volume or uh, you know snapshot policy or whatever it is but you ask for that on a policy basis and in a logical way that allows the storage subsystem to serve you that without asking you to worry about which disks are in which raid group for instance right so i i think there's definitely learning there about what kind of interface you want to provide even though you know we would take this from a more sort of enterprise readiness perspective it strikes me that this kind of goes in both directions. So, you know, you, the learnings. And I think that that's important because too often um, when I hear about infrastructure as code or DevOps, uh, it seems like all of the learning is flowing from the cloud and from the hyperscalers into the waiting ears of networking and storage and server administrators in the enterprise and that they have nothing to bring to the table. But th that really couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, there's a lot of uh, long uh, experience in education and, and history uh, that goes the other way as well. And I think that the, the ideal way to make this happen from on both a technical and organizational perspective is to bring both of those things together and have them really truly meet as equals. Because frankly, uh, hyperscalers and cloud engineers have come up with some wonderful concepts and some wonderful ways of implementing things that we've been trying to do in the network or in the enterprise for a long, long time. But at the same time, enterprise folks have figured out quite a lot too. And you can't just say, you know, here's a bunch of tools, go to it. Um, it, it actually is beneficial to bring forward, especially some of these sort of organizational uh, approaches of, uh, of, of data protection and, uh, you know, delivering uh, infrastructure, uh, working with clients, all those sort of things from the enterprise in this, in this new world. Yeah, that's a good point, Stephen. And I'd like to hit on a couple of things too, just, just from the perspective of Jim, that was a really good point because you did go down the path of not just the, the hardware, right? You know, from an infrastructure as code perspective, you know, we don't care about the spindles. We don't care about the speed. We care about what does the platform provide us and how can we consume it? And then also how can we define 
day two operational things, like we've already said, which are things like life cycle management, access controls, things like that. Is it in a Kubernetes environment? Is it in a VM environment? Is it whatever? But, you know, taking things from the perspective and in, in, in Anthony, I'd be curious on where you, what you've seen um, from this perspective. I know that, you know, for, for folks like me, we spend a lot of time in data models, right? We spend a lot of time in mapping out data models that are agnostic. We don't care if it's pure. We don't care if it's another vendor or whatever. All we need to say is we need this to be consumable and be able to drive what that looks like and use the code and the model to define what that looks like. And it's also a model that's not, it's agnostic from the model perspective that it's not relevant to the tool. So it might not be Ansible. It may not be Terraform. It might not be something else. We just have a very clear, you know, let's just say whatever that model is, YAML or JSON, whatever your choice is, that defines what that looks like. And then we carve it and move it to and massage it into the actual consumable portions that we need to define and drive what the infrastructure looks like as long as well as lifecycle. So Anthony, I'm curious on, you know, that takes a lot of, that's a lot of years of experience of doing those things. So that's, that's part of that journey, right? Yeah. I, you know, when I hear that, what I hear is a mature perspective that you have, right? And what we, what we look at, right, is there's a spectrum of people who are engaging with infrastructure as code and thinking about storage as code for the first time. And what, you know, if I encounter somebody like you who has that mature perspective, that's awesome because you're already thinking about sort of the platonic ideal, if you will, of what you need your environment to look like and what your requirements are, right? You're defining it in terms of your business need, right? And how you want to structure it for your own applications. What, you know, a, a, a person with less experience who, or who's less sort of matured into this practice might do is they might think of things more tactically, right? They might think about like, okay, well, I need to define things in terms of server configuration settings, right? Or, or you know, I, I might uh, want to create it, you know, I, I think about patching together, you know, LUNs with, uh, with, you know, host accesses and, you know, thinking at a much lower level. And this is where I think the the storage industry and the storage vendors as a whole can come somewhat to the rescue, right? Because if we operate at that low level, if we, you know, want you to engage with us at the level where you are thinking about whether it's spindles or whether it's, you know, whatever the configuration is, if we're asking you to do that, we're forcing them to think about things at a much lower level than the kind of requirements that you described. So when I look at this from my perspective and, and, and developing products like Pure Fusion that we've uh, recently released, which is a storage as code platform for pure storage, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to up-level the interface that I make available to you so that when you come to my front door, you're not asking me or I'm not forcing you to talk about things like patching together, you know, the IP address of this machine or the NTP server, you know, all this kind of like low level configuration stuff. I want to take as much of that into the effort me and my engineering team have to do in order to provide this system. And I instead want to expose policy and business value um, as the set of interfaces that I expose uh, out to the end user, right? So, so when you're making a choice about storage or when you're looking at what your storage is able to do, you know, someone who's got that mature perspective can see through, you know, the trees and see the forest. But if we can just, you know, up-level for you and expose things directly at that level, we think that's a big value add. 
that's a great point, Anthony. Uh, and by the way, thank you for recognizing our mutual maturity, uh, since I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to be when I grow up. Uh, but, you know, but a, another aspect of the maturity uh, level of, a, of an organization in terms of storage is uh, thinking about risk and thinking about repeatability, right? So if I'm not thinking database-wise, but thinking about building out uh, 32 Kubernetes containers that are going to share some aspect of storage, whatever it is, maybe I'm doing that in dev or maybe even in test. And that's going to be sort of my 5% or 10% entry into building out a 320 or 640 unit, uh, if you will, Kubernetes cluster. So having this idea of intriguing storage as code that I can just go, hey, just turn this knob up here, turn this knob up here, build me exactly the same storage configuration that's going to give me the same number of IOPS and megabytes per second. Uh, you know, the stuff that we don't usually talk about, the storage network aspect of it too, not just response time. That to me seems to be something intriguing and uh, almost inevitable. Yeah, I, I think a lot of folks don't uh, don't capture the risk reduction that comes with sort of applying this correctly, right? Because, like you mentioned, going from one to thirty-two to you know sixteen thousand x number, whatever, right? Not only is there a manual effort savings that comes with situations like this, and whether that's you know you supporting you as the IT and, and storage team supporting a an internal software development group that needs CI/CD capability, whether that's that, or whether it's a production you know SaaS application that you may be supporting where you have to deploy multiple pods or backends as you bring on additional customers, right? Whatever the scaling case that you see is. Or even, you know, if you're just spinning up an additional Oracle database for a new internal uh, application, right? Whatever it is, right? The number of times that you have to do that, every additional time you do introduces risk, right? You know, whereas if you have adopted a, an infrastructure as code and storage as code pattern, once you've done it once and you've, you know, tested that and you have tests, hopefully you have tests running against your infrastructure as code capabilities. But once you've done, done that once and tested it, you know that every time you deploy it, you're going to get your expected result. So it's labor saving, but it's also risk reduction. Yeah, I'd add one more thing too. And I think we talked about this before is, you know, thinking about the service as my goal right? My, my North star is my service. And what does it take for that service to be functional? And from that perspective, you know, as you work through the, the different pillars of infrastructure as code, the same networking constructs, the same storage constructs, compute Kubernetes, it becomes kind of lost in the background, right? Because I have, as I mature as an organization from a true delivery model for infrastructure as code, I kind of make those decisions kind of like you already like Anthony, like you mentioned, is like we know the patterns. So, Jim, you've spent a lot of time in databases. You know, let's say, hey, I'm going to spin up, you know, my service just needs to provide, you know, a, a NoSQL back end. You know, I just need NoSQL for the example. And maybe my front end is something else. I know the patterns that can dictate what my flow looks like as I, you know, as I progress through the flow of infrastructure as code. So if I have a front end and say, Hey, think about, I just need to spin up this thing. Everything in the back end just happens, right? I don't have to think about those low level details because all the patterns 
and the experience has defined what that looks like. So, uh, Anthony, I'm sure you've seen that too. So, yeah, you know, one thing that that seems to be a trend as well across a large number of the the customers that I speak to these days is moving towards a service delivery based model, right? And some people think of it for, like I said, cost reduction reasons. Some people think about uh, in terms of SLAs and uptime and all this kind of stuff. But one other thing that that you know, sits in the background there is how do you deliver your service, right? You know, you could, you know, have, let's say you use a ticketing platform like a ServiceNow or something to intermediate the services that you offer as a storage team, right? Today, those tickets may filter back into an engineer's task queue, right? Who goes in and does that work. If you adopt infrastructure as code, you can deliver that service in a much more agile way. Right. Because instead of having to have that storage engineer pick up the ticket, you know, have a back and forth potentially with the uh, person who filed the ticket and figure out where to put the storage and how to configure it and, you know, do all of that stuff. If you adopt uh, a storage as code infrastructure as code model behind your service delivery, you can reduce the amount of manual overhead and sort of the ticket execution aspect that I'm pretty sure nobody really enjoys. Right. Um, and along with that, right, you you uh, as a storage practitioner, you get to move uh, and up level your skill set from just handling that ticket to potentially, uh, you know, working in automation. Uh, you know, I think anyone who has written a script before can appreciate the value that comes from not having to execute those steps. But if you move it into infrastructure as code, you're really you're really stepping into a new part of the world in terms of the value you can add. And I think it's important to recognize, too, that uh, we've been trying to have a service-oriented architecture in IT for decades. Uh, this is not a new concept. And in that way, infrastructure as code is really more of a new tool than it is a new approach. It's a way to actually accomplish what we've been trying to do for a long time. So to sum up the conversation, I guess, um, if the premise here is that storage admins aren't ready for infrastructure as code, what can they do to get ready for infrastructure as code? I mean, obviously, apart from buying a pure storage something or other that supports it, right? What, what can they do to, to, to get ready? Think about concepts at object level. You know, and I know that's like going way, way, way down the road. You know what I'm saying? Up, up in the stack. And you, Anthony, like you were saying, like from a high level perspective, you have to get your head out of the weeds to be able to really start visualizing what things look like from Again, infrastructure as code is just the definition of what things look like, but looking at things from an object perspective can help folks mature extremely quick because you get out of the day-to-day, -day, like, like we already talked about, spindles, all the things. I don't care. I don't care if you roll that in and it has 20 spindles or if you roll that one in, it has 20,000. Does it provide me what I need for the service? And to kind of build on what you said, Larry, you know, a lot of the public cloud infrastructure that we've seen come out in the last three to five years. I mean, I just deployed uh, a, a brand new compute node literally two days ago. I ran a script three minutes later, boom, it's there. We should be able to do that in any environment, even if our storage is on-premises, right? It should be exactly the same and the same expectation level of a uh, a DevOps developer, uh, a database administrator, heck, even a network storage administrator, so that when I say I need this type of response, this type of, as you put it, service, it's going to be identical no matter where it actually physically exists. So I think 
you know, again, for storage administrators have been kind of resisting understanding how all this cloud stuff works, perhaps. I don't know which rock they're hiding under but at this point, but maybe that's the best way to start thinking about it, that essentially, as, as you put it, right, I can request exactly the same thing, get exactly the same type of response uh, and service from wherever it may reside physically. And Jim, that's a really good point. And then Anthony, I want to hand it over to you just to be cognizant of time here. But I think it's a really good point to call out here is, like you mentioned, if it's in cloud or if it's on-prem and all that, one of the things that really helps you out long-term is you don't care if it's on-prem or in the cloud. Because I have a defined process that just says, again, back to the service, where I'm going to deploy. And is it on-prem or is it in the cloud? I don't care if it's AWS, Azure, DigitalOcean, whatever it is. I have a process that's defined and let the logic sort it out based on the request. Let me try to give you a three-step process that hopefully isn't pure storage specific. So first I'll say, figure out what interfaces you have to talk to your storage. Uh, if you don't have any, maybe you got to choose a new storage platform, but a lot of storage platforms have interfaces. Figure out what those are. The second thing is figure out what tool set you'll be comfortable in. If you already script in one language, just do that, right? But there's a lot of good tools out there and folks who will explain those to you. So pick a tool that's going to allow you to start working. And then the third thing is start putting your scripts and you, the work you do with your tool into version control, right? Those three steps will get you from directly typing CLI commands to your box to a reusable and trackable set of, you know, maybe immature, but infrastructure as code patterns. And from there, you know, it'll mature itself. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. It's been a great conversation. Uh, before we go, uh, where can folks connect with y'all and uh, continue this conversation? Sure. You can reach me on Twitter. I'm there almost all the time at Jim the Y, W-H-Y guy. And also check out my co-hosted podcast, Beyond Tech Skills at beyondtechskills.com. Um, you can reach me on Twitter at Mr. Ellie Smith Jr. I'm not very active there anymore, but um, I can be found at everythingshouldbevirtual.com, GitHub. I'm at a lot of lot of code repos, examples, things like that. Um, but you can find me. Just look up Mr. Ellie Smith Jr. Yeah, and I'd say come join us uh, at Pure Storage. Uh, Code.purestorage.com is our uh, GitHub front end and also has our Slack community. So if you want to check out the latest that we've done in terms of publishing uh, infrastructure as code tooling for our products and platforms, you can find it there. Um, and then also if you want to ask questions or join in the conversation about storage as code, uh, that Slack channel uh, is where I would suggest uh, meeting up and talking with us. Yeah, absolutely. If there's a company that has feet in both sides of this divide in terms of the more traditional data center and the next generation cloud, it's pure. And I think that this is a great way to learn more about this new technology in a way that's not just throw out everything you ever knew and start from scratch, you know, and, and I really appreciate that. So as for me, you can find me uh, at SFOSKIT on most uh, social media networks. And of course, you'll find me at gestaltit.com where I do our weekly uh, news rundown, as well as uh, this on-premise IT podcast. Thanks for listening to the on-premise IT podcast from Gestalt IT. If you enjoyed this discussion, please do give us a rating or a subscription. You can find us in basically every podcast platform. And you can also find us on YouTube at YouTube slash Gestalt IT video. 
This podcast was brought to you by Pure Storage, as well as gestaltid.com, your home for IT coverage from across the enterprise. For show notes and more episodes, go to gestaltit.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.